Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is the 2nd of March, 2022. It is Ash Wednesday. If you missed my commentary on the topic of Ash Wednesday, you should go listen to the opening of the first hour of today's program. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. You can also do it on the Faith Radio app. Um, So there you go, because I had a lot to say about Ash Wednesday, but I can't, I don't have time to repeat myself because I want to talk about, you know, other stuff as well. Psalm 27 is uh, on my heart today. Where in the Word are you? Do you have a plan for where you're going to be in the Word during this season of Lent? Um, We are going to be reading the Bible together, specifically during Holy Week, um, and so I invite you into that. But I also just invite you into um, exploring scriptures related to faith and assurance, confidence, hope, um, God's reliable nature, like those would be, I think, good places for us to spend our time um, in these days. So I bring to you this morning what God laid on my heart during my quiet time, and that is Psalm 27. I'm just going to read it uh, this morning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil do, when evil doers assail me, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rises against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer In his tent, sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away. O you who have been my help, cast me not away. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on the level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. 
on this day when we survey what is happening around the world, particularly in Ukraine. But Ukraine's not the only place where there is war today. There is war in human hearts, and there is war in human relationships, and there is war in homes right down the street from yours and mine. And so as we acknowledge and recognize the challenge of the days in which we live, let us be people who turn to the Lord our God and say, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let us be people who wait for the Lord. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Next up, we've got Bill English joining us from BibleAndBusiness.com. We're going to talk about the economic realities both here and around the world now that Ukraine is at war. We'll be right back. is back. You can find him at BibleAndBusiness.com. Bill, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you today? Well, it is well with my soul. You know, God is good. He's on the throne. It's That was was a great read out of Psalm 27. That was a great read. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am, uh, um, I'm with Job. I, um, I, I see the Lord walking in the land of the living. Like, I, I get it. All right. So um, let's talk about not only the economy here, which is the economy sure. most people, frankly, care about. But let's talk about what is happening globally, because we tend to think of ourselves increasingly as people who live in a worldwide or global economy. And so the collapse of the Russian economy surely has to have some meaning for the rest of us. It does <clears throat> in a number of ways. It'll hurt them a lot more than it hurts us, but it will hurt us. And we are in an, in a, we are in an interconnected uh, world economy. There's, there's just no doubt about it. When you look at, at the summary of all of the various sanctions that the various nations are placing on Russia for their aggression, uh, that's a backdoor way of, of getting a peek into just how interconnected we are. Um, economically, look, the whole world is going to experience a uh, a spike in uh, petroleum costs, and those effects will hit a number of different industries. For example, um, you know, obviously not just pain at the pump that we you know we hear a lot about on the news, uh, but also uh, the cost of shipping things. For example, uh, on an ocean uh, carrier from uh, China or or Asia, I'll just say Asia, to the United States. It can go anywhere from today's cost of $10,000 per container. It could go up to as high as 30000 per container simply because of the increased fuel costs. Um, a lot of shipping is done by air. And, and as we've seen, uh, Russia has closed their airspace to, I don't know, 20 or 30 countries. And a number of countries uh, in Europe and around the world have closed their airspace to Russia, uh, uh, airplanes. And so if you're shipping by air, 
then uh, then those airplanes have to fly around those those closed air spaces, and that increases fuel costs and increases the cost of goods. So you're going to see supply chain costs go up uh, because of the petroleum costs going up, and everybody's going to um, everybody's going to have some pain. So, um, Bill, as we as I you know kind of like look through this uh, amazing list of not just sanctions that are being brought by governments, but the ways in which corporations, um, tech companies, private citizens are using their personal influence um, in ways that are economic. Um, this this seems different than anything else I can remember in terms of um, global engagement toward a particular target, the target here being Russia. Yeah, I've noticed that too. And uh, <clears throat> a couple of thoughts on that. One, I just wonder how much uh, Biden is responsible for really putting together a strong coalition against Russia, but he's doing it very quietly behind closed doors. You got to remember, you know, Biden was in the Senate for a lot of years, and then he was our vice president for eight years, and now he's our president. He knows most of these world actors uh, on a first name basis. And that's a real advantage, uh, I think, for us and for the world. And I, you know, like I'm not a big Biden supporter on much of his domestic policy, but I suspect that the president is doing a lot of good here, bringing the the coalition together. Um, The other thing is I've been this is just a particularly morally offensive Mm -hmm. um, war that, that Putin is executing. It's just it's just raw corruption and power. And I think the world is is stepping up and saying, wait a minute, we're not going to, as, as a world community, we can't have this. Because if we allow this, then the whole world is going to devolve into anarchy at some point. And n- none of us want that. So I, I think the moral offensiveness of this whole thing is also helping pull people together. We're going to um, continue our conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. I think we'll stay on this topic in terms of the this intersection of moral offense and then how we make decisions, not only about where maybe we spend our own dollars, but companies, uh, big corporations, global corporations making moral decisions. We're going to turn um, next to what what are BP and Shell doing and what, what are maybe the bottom line issues related to uh, stockholders um, when corporations, you know, make a moral decision. We're going to talk about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. We're talking with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill, um, I, I think that my question here is kind of wound up in in recognizing that there are times that companies make what they claim to be moral decisions that I don't agree with. And correct sure and surely have, um, you know, a bottom line effect on stockholders. And those go in like one direction of our cultural conversations. But now I'm looking at companies making what we clearly observe to be moral decisions, withdrawing from all kinds of uh, uh, of contracts and um, investments in Russia and withdrawing all of that. I have BP and Shell in mind here and you can tell people about that. Um, uh, that's a moral decision. It's going to clearly have bottom line impacts on 
um, their profitability, but they're doing it for moral reasons with which I agree. So can you just help me kind of weigh all of that out? Yeah, it's interesting. You and I actually talked about this a little bit over a year ago on January 21st. Uh, we talked about brand purpose and consequences, and I, I, I'm not expecting you to remember that conversation. I just happened to look it up here. Bible it's like a business. quiz. It's like you're quizzing me. <laughs> oh, it's on Bible. Give us the title of the article again, because that's going to be real help, really helpful for us to revisit. Well, it, it, it's actually not an article. It's a podcast. Uh, okay. Paul sent over the audio, and I turned it into a podcast. But it's called Brand Purpose and Consequences at, at Bible and Business. You can look it up. It's on January 20th of 2021. And what we talked about there was this this uh, growing phenomenon of corporations needing to align their public, political, and moral beliefs with that of their customer base, and that the customer base would punish the corporation by not buying their products if the corporation didn't align with them, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is really an outgrowth, an outworking of, of, that, of that phenomenon that's been going on for a number of years now where uh, corporations are expected to take political and moral stands. Here, you and I agree with their stands. They, you know, Shell and BP should pull out, right? Visa, MasterCard should turn off uh, the uh, credit terminal within Russia. Uh, and we're happy that Elon Musk is now providing bandwidth to the entire country of the Ukraine, right? Free of charge. Well, right? No, I, know, like, I, want, have... I want Starlink where I live. Well, it's not going to happen, right? <laughs> That's not how this works. Doesn't work that way. So, so there's that's that's what's happening here, and so the the corporations, the private entities, are continuing to to get on board with what the countries are doing and creating a greater coalition. Now, is President Biden involved in that? I don't think so as much. Um, I think President Biden is staying at the political layer and talking to his friends uh, in various countries around the world. But that, but that's really what's behind this. So um, what else has your attention uh, in terms of the conversations related to Ukraine, the economy, um, really any other thread of this that you want to pull this morning? So I, um, so several things, gosh, you shouldn't open the floor like that to me. Um, First of all, I think Christians should be praying deeply, not just for the people in the Ukraine, but asking God how much, that, not if they should give, but how much they should give to these relief efforts for the millions now who are pouring over the borders into Poland and Germany and Moldova and other places. Mm -hmm. uh, this, is a, this is a time for the church at large to step up by the local churches and the individual Christians becoming generous with their money. And I'm really talking about giving more than what you would normally give, sacrificing a little bit here, right? Yeah. Give, give beyond what you think you can afford. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Secondly, I just wonder how long the Ukrainians can really hold out. I, I, I don't know that. It really depends on how many men are willing to take up arms. Look, we saw in the great revolution here of, of the United States that a bunch of ragtag guys could defeat a well-heeled army in, in, in the British, right? We saw mm -hmm. that that can happen. And uh, it's very possible that it could happen in the Ukraine, which would only strengthen their, their position in the world, obviously, by that amount. 
Um, but let's be in prayer, because if Russia does eventually take over Ukraine, the Christians there are going to be persecuted. So let's make sure that we're viewing this from a from a um, spiritual Christian viewpoint first and a political, uh, geopolitical uh, view second. Um, persecution is never good, and um, it, it's and it would only, frankly, if he does win over in the Ukraine, I think it would embolden Putin to continue on, and he may go after Germany or Poland or other countries like that, and uh, we, we, we just cannot let that happen. So I and have frankly, a frankly honest yeah. yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. So I have a Are um, we on the verge maybe, of go ahead. I have a little bit of a maybe a different um or additional thought related to that. Because I sure. think you're absolutely sure. right. We have to view this from um from an eternal perspective, um, a kingdom perspective, no question about that. I'm viewing the whole thing as an opportunity for great awakening and revival, like it is for which I've been praying. I'm you know, I'm absolutely uh, praying and supplying all encouragement I can, including financial, to people as close to the front line of the conversation as possible, right? And so f- figuring all of that out and resourcing uh, people and churches in Poland and Romania, Moldova, Germany, on and on and yeah. on. I think those are yeah. all absolutely yeah, yeah. what we need to be doing. Um, I also recognize that it's quite possible that the Russian military does at some point, even as early as today, take over a major city. Um, I think Kharkiv is likely to fall. I think that, you know, once they have the coastal cities, then they're going to move in. Um, I, I think they will seek to cut off the supply lines um, from uh, from the West back in. I think I mean, I, I do think there are some major, major challenges are coming. But I would also say I don't think that Russia will ever rule in Ukraine. I think the Ukrainian people will be an insert. I mean, they will. They will continue to fight. They will just be occupied. And I don't think that even if Russia occupies Ukraine, I don't think they're ever going to pacify those. Like, I don't think they're ever going to take over those people. And so um, I, I'm, I maybe have a little bit different perspective because I kind of expect a city to fall, maybe more than one city to fall um, to Russian uh, you know, invasion, invasionary forces, but I don't expect ultimately the nation of Ukraine to come under the Russian sphere of uh, of influence. I, I mean, even if it's occupied. Yeah, from a values perspective and a and a national unity perspective, I would agree with you. But you know, once you own the once you own certain infrastructures and you have the military strength, you effectively rule. Um, it, it, it's kind of like uh, you 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 effectively oppress, maybe yeah. is, is a better word right. instead of effectively ruling. I do wonder though. I I also can kind of see this point where Russia, where Putin just runs out of money, and the money oh, yeah. that he's got mm-hmm. is not very worthless. And kind of one kind of wonders if his if parts or maybe large parts of his armies don't just get abandoned. In, in the Ukraine, because he doesn't even have enough cash to get them home. Yeah. Uh, in which and, case, and, I expect the Ukrainian people to take care of them, not kill them. I mean, I just think that there's just this opportunity for an incredible, strange reversal of uh, uh, of what's going on. Um, so I'm I'm holding out hope for that. I am, too. And I'm... <laughs> 
I'm kind of hoping that uh, that uh, much of the Russian army, the the really young guys that are on the yeah. forefront for Russia, who really don't understand what's going on, they don't know why they're there, they don't mm-hmm. have the motivation, you know, for the motherland, so to speak, that they would just, uh, you know, hey, let's just be friends. And by the way, here's my truck and my tank and my, you know, rifles and all that. And <laughs> yeah, which um, if Russia, you Ukrainian which if you army. haven't. If you haven't seen it, um, there is a TikTok video of a Ukrainian teenager, a girl, who climbs into one of these abandoned uh, Russian tanks. And um, and in her TikTok video, she shows everybody in the world how to turn it on and how to drive it. <laughs> I got to think <laughs> we live we live in such bizarre times. I mean, like truly such bizarre times. So, um, yeah. all right, we got to leave it. We got to leave it right there. Bill, as always, it's just such a joy to talk with you. Thank you for helping us think through the issues of the day um, on the business and the economic front, but doing so from a Christian worldview, which is, you know, ultimately what matters. So thank you. You bet. You're welcome. That's Bill English. You can find him at BibleAndBusiness.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right. Many, many, many of you asking Um, in follow-up to Bill English's encouragement that we would give sacrificially to help uh, the people of Ukraine, the people in Ukraine, uh, the refugees leaving Ukraine. There are lots of um, ways to donate to uh, Ukraine relief efforts. Um, One idea might be to find a Ukrainian-related ministry, church, in your own city or community. Um, or find uh, or connect with one of the ministries that we have talked about here. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about um, Paul. Remind me what was the what was the orphan related ministry that we just talked to? Oh, that was um, uh, was it, uh, it Lifeline Life? Children's Services was one we yeah, mentioned. Yeah, so Lifeline Child. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I, so Lifeline Child dot org. I remember that you know they had a page where you could um, you know directly. Uh, assist their people on the ground in Ukraine. Um, But the list is really long. Samaritan's Purse is already um, set up in relationship to the refugee crisis. So is World Relief. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there are lots of ways that you can that you can give. I would encourage you to to do your own research and find the place that actually like touches your, you know, heartstring. So if you want to give to a ministry in Ukraine, um, because you want to help resource people in country, that's going to be different than um, connecting with a ministry that's serving refugees that have already crossed the border. And so, um, you know, I'm going to encourage you to connect with a Ukrainian church or ministry in your own community. I mean, it occurs to me that this Ukrainian church in Baltimore, where nearly 50 gravestones have been knocked over, vandalized, that's a really like local tangible way to um, to give here in the United States. You can also, you know, give by going to um, a war protest. I just think that there are some really tangible ways for us to get moving um, in support of the Ukrainian people. And obviously, uh, you know, I'm going to lead the list by praying for a great awakening, for a, a real revival, for light to shine in the darkness. Okay, um, this is going to be one of those like hard transitions. Like, how do I pivot from that conversation to the next one? All right. So um, in the midst of all of the Ukraine headlines, like you and I are still living our lives and we're still making decisions about all kinds of things. Um, 
I've I've started to go check out uh, assisted assisted living facilities at the request of um, of my mom and stepdad. So like that's a thing in terms of medical decisions that people make at some point in time in their lives. What kinds of decisions are in front of you? How are you making those decisions? How are you applying the mind of Christ to particularly medical decision making, but also just all kinds of moral decisions that we make every day. Uh, Christina Twitty runs an organization called Decision Care Advocates. Those are the conversations that she has each and every day. So we're going to talk about some, well, frankly, crazy headlines um, related to parenting and children and how we are making decisions in the culture today um, related to both. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Joining us again today, Christina Twitty. You can find her at DecisionCareAdvocates.com. Christina, welcome back. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, I want to visit a couple of headlines with you. I'm reading a headline here um, at People.com about Anderson Cooper. He, uh, for those of you listening um, and may not be familiar with him, he is a, an anchor um, and a host for CNN. Um, and uh, here's the People headline. Anderson Cooper shares adorable photos snuggling with son Wyatt, 21 months, says nothing is better Um, But there's more to this story. Anderson Cooper is no longer in a relationship with the other man with whom um, Wyatt. That's just such a complicated storyline. What is going on here? (laughs) It is a bit complicated. Yes. Uh, His son was born um, almost two years ago now via surrogate and obviously egg donor. And he was with someone, but no longer being with someone now has had a second son very recently, same way. And the, uh, the celebration has been all about his, uh, his decision for his ex-boyfriend to adopt both of his sons and raise them together, though they are no longer Uh, consider themselves a couple. Yeah. So the language here even gets like complicated, right? Like we use the word father and son um, in this context. Um, We, we use the word parent. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't even know that even like uh, a couple of generations ago, I mean, certainly in terms of adoption, we would use terms father and son um, Mm -hmm. and parent, but this is more complicated than, basic adoption. This is a person um, or two people deciding that they want to be parents, dads. They don't want a woman involved other than uh, to sort of rent out her egg and her womb. Um, And the whole thing from a Christian worldview, right, is challenging for me. So how do I think about these things? And then how do I engage in this conversation in the culture? Oh man, it's, it's so hard because we've, what, what, what I think we have done as Christians is done a better job at celebrating family and celebrating children. Um, 
in some ways I see us swing so far towards the celebration of children that we say, well, any way that anyone can have a child, the ultimate uh, goal is for that child to be loved. Yes, but <laughs> um, there's a design that God put in place. And I think um, it's been proven over and over and over again, that anytime you go contrary to that design, you have problems. And with two loving fathers, you are still missing a mother. And no matter what the culture tries to tell us, God did make men and women different. We bring different things to the table. Uh, we teach differently. And because every child learns by watching the closest people to them, there's really nobody that can teach a young uh, a girl to become a woman, to become a mother than her mother or a mother, even if mother uh, figures are someone outside of you know their immediate family. And it's the separation in this situation of these two little boys. I uh, haven't seen the term open donation in any of these stories. Uh, so whoever their biological mother is, is simply a quote egg donor who was paid very well for her donation, paid very well for her surrogacy. But that little boy, both of those little boys uh, are deprived of their mothers. And that will directly impact them for the rest of their lives, even when it's a sperm donor situation raised by biological mother and a sperm donor dad uh, is not in the picture, but a, uh, an adoptive father is, that's still a huge impact. So just the whole surrounding reproductive technology topic, when a, an adult decides, I want a kid, no matter what, the child is, of course, the last consideration um, in their minds because the child's not there to kind of raise their hand and go, yeah, but I need a mom. You know, it's an adult mm -hmm. that's making those decisions for their, for their wants. The manufacture we can manufacture children now. That's kind of simply what we've done. So I think that when we're having these conversations, um, pastors are, pastors may be individually equipped to have these conversations, but <laughs> I don't hear a lot of pastors out on the forefront of this because sitting in their congregations. Um, because every, we all know people, we all know Christians who have participated through reproductive technology in the manufacturing of their own children, because God didn't give them the children that they wanted in the time that they wanted in the way that they wanted with the person that they wanted. And so I, this is hard because when we start, um, I mean, I am frequently asked, I am frequently asked by people, women in my age group to pray for their daughters and their, um, you know, and their daughters-in-law in relationship to this topic, in relationship to IVF, in relationship to um, all of the reproductive technologies available today, even in relationship to, you know, uh, unmarried, unwed young women who are now at the stage of life where, you know what, they want to have a baby. They want a baby and they want their own baby. Um, right. And it just um, we're not well equipped. That's what you do, right? Like you help pastors and other people enter into these conversations. Talk with us about 
decision care advocates because it's not just individual counsel on these topics. Like you're willing to equip pastors and church leaders and ministry leaders um, for these conversations. Yes, absolutely. Uh, What I try to do, especially with a pastoral conversation, is just to remind them that when they're silent about things from the pulpit, their congregation believes they have nothing to say about it. And that's why they're silent. And part of the reason this topic even became one of those things I made sure to let people know I could talk with them about, because I remember even going through my degree program at Covenant uh, Seminary out in St. Louis, overhearing one of my pastors ask a friend of mine, uh, what, what do people do with their leftover embryos? And it turned out that some of my friends had had children, had triplets, had embryos, didn't want more children, couldn't handle more children, and had some angst about what to do with the embryos they weren't going to use. On the other hand, we had a physician, an IVF doc, who may have been theirs, I don't know, uh, that was talking to me through my program when I was doing research about starting an embryo bank so he could just donate all the embryos that he was creating to the bank because the point and purpose of this was to have a child born. And I think what pastors didn't realize is that there's a lot of decisions that get made on uh, or don't or, or not made. It's kind of like, you know, the decision, not making a decision is also making a decision. And so it you run into that. And when you don't know the process of how this is going to work, you get surprised by the excruciating decisions you have to make later. And so being able to sit down with a pastor uh, or a counselor, counseling team, congregational care pastors, uh, they typically are the ones that have the relationships where these conversations come up and be able to just walk through really simple biology first. You know, most people forgot embryology if they ever took anything uh, like that. And just being able to say, okay, here are the basic elements. This is when and how this happens. These are the, these are the decisions people will have to make at some point. And being able to affirm the brokenness of our world and the fact that things don't work like God set them up to um, with the compassion of you know, infertility is an excruciating thing for people to deal with and disappointment. And this didn't work the way I thought it would or the way I thought God promised. And since children are a gift and everybody um, in the church knows that at least until you have too many for somebody's opinion. And then they start looking at you like, you do know how that happens, right? So it's, it's very much a catch 22, I think for pastors who don't want to, don't want to hurt the feelings of someone, but at the same time, they have people in their pews who need to hear the gospel and the truth about family and children and who gives children mm-hmm. and what is the purpose of a child? It is not to have a quote child of your own. It is an image bearer of God. It is a gift placed on earth. Every single one conceived and having to navigate those things from a pulpit standpoint, whether it's a team, whether it's somebody that's got a specific, uh, a, a specific process already going on. I think you just catch people off guard a lot of times yeah. when this is the this is the route they're headed. Yeah. 
Hey, we have to take a very, very brief break. We're going to continue our conversation with Christina Twitty. You can find her at decisioncareadvocates.com. We're going to um, we're going to talk about um, conscious co-parents, which is something that you may not have heard of in the culture yet, but it is happening. People having babies together with their friends with whom they are not lovers um, and raising those children as if that's normal. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Speak light, speak light, the darkest night. Speak you may remember Van Jones' Redemption Project. Uh, it aired, I'm thinking a couple of years ago. It was a series um, or a show, unlike anything that had ever happened before. Van Jones introduced viewers to prisoners who had been convicted of terrible crimes. And then those... Um, uh, the victims of those crimes, or in some cases, the families of those individuals uh, who were killed, met with and forgave um, those convicted criminals. And Van Jones talked about, at that point in time, he talked a lot about his faith. He talked about his faith being tested. He talked about um, Jesus. He talked about having grown up in the church. Van Jones um, uh, has, quote, welcomed a new daughter reportedly hoping that people will embrace the arrangement that brought her into the world. What is unique about the arrangement through which Van Jones now has a daughter? We're talking with Christina Twitty um, from Decision Care Advocates. Christina, what makes um, what makes the way this child came into the world uh, interesting? Hmm. Well, in this case, we have a mother figure and a father figure, um, deciding with a friend, yes, that you mentioned is not somebody he's romantically engaged with. Um, after he decided he quote wanted, um, another child. So they call it, um, consciously parent, uh, conscious, like platonic co-parenting <laughs> and kind of like, okay, well, I want a baby. You want to raise one. We could do this together. And, to be frank, this is not the first time I'd heard about this. I actually had a friend one time offer to do this with me if I got to the point of not being married, not having kids, and he would raise a kid with me. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm not raising a kid with you. Um, I'm, well, and I'm not having a kid with you. Like, this is a part right. of this conversation as well, right? Like, Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, here's, the para- here's the paragraph or the leadoff sentence, and this is uh, from TMZ. Um, actually reported by MSN. So this is Van Jones speaking here. He says, I got clear that I wanted another kid. So that sentence alone ought to be a stopping point for people of faith. Yeah, I got clear that I wanted another kid. And then he says, I discovered that my friend Naomi also wanted a baby. So we decided to join forces and become conscious co-parents. It's a concept I hope more people will explore and consider. Um, I mean, I, I, we could just take this paragraph and walk around in it for a moment. Is it enough that an adult person gets clear that they want to have another kid? Is that is that desire to have a kid, is that now in our culture what constitutes the the reason for bringing another person into the world? In our culture, Absolutely. That's practically all you need, plus a good amount of money, because IVF is not a cheap process. 
if that's the direction you go. Uh, if the direction you go is artificial insemination or good old fashioned way, I mean, there are places popping up where you can actually match people. It's not as much, not in the US, the, the latest that I've seen, but people can just pick another person with whom to have a child. And they, there is an option of staying in touch and being involved or not staying in touch and being involved. So this has, technology really has put these choices into the hands of people who just want something. And since our generation and our culture is pretty adapt to getting what we want, when we want it and how, um, yes, frankly. Uh, now, obviously on the flip side of that, as believers, we, we don't adhere to that at all. We don't follow that just because we want something means we're going to get it. Uh, especially when it comes to another human being, a child, it's much different. Um, the purpose is much different. The way in which this happens is much different. There is a God honored, um, structure that is entirely different and has been proven over and over and over again to be, um, the, in the best interest of a child to have a mom and dad in the house, ideally, and to be raised with two parents, um, mom and dad, and just deciding, oh, you and I want a kid. Great. We'll have a kid. It's kind of like saying, you want to get a puppy? Great. Let's get a puppy. Mm-hmm. Can we? Yeah. But, uh, it, yeah. It, yeah. And it'd be one thing to, to yeah, it's just so complex. It um, is. Christina, I want to acknowledge, um, we have listeners who are texting and um, in relationship to their own life experiences and just recognizing and acknowledging you guys have lots of questions about this topic and subject matter. So, um, yes, we will circle back around um, to uh, to sweet Mary, who has texted in about her own family situation. Um, she has adopted her girls. She uh, is a single woman. She adopted her girls through foster care. She says, I wanted my kids um, to have a dad, but, you know, I've never found someone to marry. She's worked hard to have male role models for her girls. And so, Mary, I want you to hear us say today, um, praise Jesus. Praise God um, for you, for the home you are providing. Um, It's important for kids to have a family. And so thank you for being that. I also want to really encourage you, if you're listening right now, um, the family of faith, the household of God has to step up. Um, yes. For women like Mary, who uh, are uh, have have adopted kids into their household, Mary needs men, good men like you, um, in her church to be sure that those girls, you know, have a dad for um, that that daddy daughter dance day and um, and all of those kinds of things. So let's be the people of faith, the family of faith, in ways that really really matter on this subject and topic. Christina, thank you um, uh, again for joining us. You guys can find Christina and connect with her and more resources related to these uh, conversations at decisioncareadvocates.com. Today is Ash Wednesday. Let me remind you of that. Um, If you missed my commentary on Ash Wednesday, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast. You can find that at myfaithradio.com. You can also listen to it um, on the Faith Radio app. I offered it at the opening of the first hour of the program today. I also encourage you to um, circle back around and listen to the conversations we had with Pastor Daryl Crouch on uh, the certainty and assurance of our faith and the hope we have in Christ and how the anchor holds. He will hold us fast, no question about it. Um, what it looks like to live with certainty in days of uncertainty. If you missed that conversation, I think you would enjoy listening to it. It might also be a really good one 
to share with someone else today. Um, Thank you so much for including me in your day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.